Welcome, 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 welcome to the Good Writing Podcast. I'm Ben. I'm Emily. Uh, the Good Writing Podcast, where two MFA friends talk writing craft and sometimes have on guests. Yeah. Today we have on David Vanderberg, Vandenberg, and he. we talk about Gabriel Garcia Marquez's... An, I forget the full title of this, An Extraordinarily Old Man with a, um, Extremely Enormous Wings. I don't think that's accurate. A little too many modifiers. Yeah, already. exactly, Just yeah. A much more modest, a very old man with enormous wings. Um, okay, And David thank you. is a poet, and I loved this episode. Yeah. Loved it. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Great discussion about the momentum and the way that momentum is created and the way that expectations are subverted in writing and ways to include that in your own writing. So please enjoy. And also about characters who are kind of going against the grain of where your story might otherwise be heading. Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting. Yeah. All right. I hope you do too. Enjoy. Alright, welcome. Hey, welcome and welcome to our guest, David. Yes. Hello, hello. I'm here. <laughs> I don't know. He's here. He's in the stew. He's on the ones and the twos. He he's got he's in command. <laughs> we had a guest once, since we do we record on a video call, we had a guest once who just like waved. No, no, no. I'm aware. Uh, I listened to that to that episode, and I was like, right away, I have to establish my presence. Cut to David on the screen. Um, Welcome to David. David Vandenberg grew up hunting and fishing in the Florida swamps. He studied anthropology, religion, and archaeology at Rollins College before moving to LA to work as an actor. He now has a JD and a Master of Laws in Taxation from Loyola Law School. The LA version, not the Chicago version. Chicago is better than LA. This is my hot take. David is the founder of Prometheus Streaming, which is a dig- dig- digital literary journal. You can find a link to it in the show notes. And his poetry has recently appeared in Saw Palm, South 85, Poetry South, and others. And he has a chapbook, Love Letters from an Arsonist, which was a finalist for the 2020 uh, Callisto Gaia Press Contemporary, and also he has a new book out, also called Love Letters from an Arsonist. Welcome, David. Um, David, as you know, usually at this part of the episode, Ben and I ask each other how much writing we've done in the past week, mm-hmm. uh, but when we have a guest instead, uh, we, instead of, you, dear listener, you can just assume that and I haven't done as much as we intended. Mm-hmm. Um, David, uh, tell us about your writing routine and how much have you written recently? Listener can't see the dead look in my eyes, can they? No, uh, no. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it hasn't been hasn't been much going on there. Uh, so mm-hmm. I guess you guys are in good company. Um, I, I you know I think it depends on like where you are in the process. Like right now, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of the writing that I that I just need to do to get my book out there, it's all just like a bunch of stuff about myself, or it's like writing about my book. It's like when I just I hate talking about myself. I hate like. You know, it's, it, I hate, like, talking about what I've written. It's like, oh, God, I'm such an idiot, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it's just sort of, like, getting through what I have to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was when I was writing it, um, you know, it was sort of over the course of a, a, a few years sort of collecting the poems. Um, and 
so I, I don't know about you guys. Um, well, I'll say this. When, when you guys think about something, are you able to visualize it in your mind? Like, see it. Like, see it in mm. your mind's eye. Or Depends not. Depends on the thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Is it an image? Is it a scent? Is it a feeling? Okay. Because I have, yeah. like, I have no mind's eye whatsoever. Like, I can't see anything. Okay. Um, no matter, like, how hard I try. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, my, my poetry, it, it usually pops into my head. It's just like this, this word or phrase that, that like bounces around. Mm-hmm. And so when that happens, if I can't get it out of my head after a while, I'll start like playing with it. Or I'm like, oh, like, what else? What else? Like, what makes this complete? Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll, I'll just like, I'll, you know, I'll play with it. I'll build it um, until eventually it becomes sort of this, this full poem where I'll know exactly what it is that I want to say. And then I'll sit down and I'll write it out and I'll sort of, you know, leave it for a bit and come back and then edit it. Um, and and that's that's really it. Mm-hmm. Um, huh. That's yeah. really interesting. So you yeah. are a language-driven poet mm-hmm. and then you come up with the rest of the poem to justify the one phrase that's been bouncing in your head for that long. Pretty much, pretty much, yeah. Or I'll look oh, for right. like what well, yeah like what the rest of the story is here. Like I'll I'll have a few where I'm like oh this would be an interesting idea if if I, like what if this was the case, but mm-hmm. but uh, you know the vast majority of the poems is I'm just driving the car and I'm like I can't get this phrase out of my head like what do I do with it? Hmm. So that's cool. I really like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. So the the process of just when you sit down in front of a page, well, I guess here's just kind of a simple question first. Are, are you handwriting in your drafting? Are you are you at the computer? What's your usual go to setup? Because I'm I'm interested in this. Usual is uh, is computer. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't like. I just I can't bring myself to handwrite it. I think it's because maybe it's just I'm I'm like such an anxious guy. Like mm-hmm. my thoughts go really really fast, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. when you're handwriting, you just can't capture everything. And so I feel like when I'm typing it out. Uh, you know, thanks to my third grade computer, you know, computer teacher, I mm-hmm. can now type in <laughs> everything pretty fast, and like I'll capture it, so that way it doesn't sort of disappear, mm-hmm. um, or I can at least like see what it is and see if it's working for me, and just like get rid of it. Uh, and it feels like by by working with it so much faster, I'm able to keep almost this more like flow of consciousness, mm-hmm. rather than if I was doing it by hand and had to be really intentional about what was gonna. Uh, what was going to go down mm. uh, and what was going to get cut out. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So so when you're coming to it, is, are you just like writing like as many lines as you can get out in that moment or and then go and then you like to return to tinker later on more of a line level or are you just trying to like, is it really just getting the phrase and then sitting with that and focusing into the next phrase or it, it, as it comes to your consciousness or is it more of that just, I just need to get out words and I'll get rid of the ones that don't work later. Yeah. So it's more like, it's more like I'll, I'll have the phrase and I'll get the, I'll, I'll get the idea of the phrase down and then I'll sort of go back and as I'm, as I'm writing it out, mm-hmm. editing it, um, and mm-hmm. I'm sort of seeing all of the possibilities, like where this phrase could go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I've sort of nailed that down in the span of, you know, a few minutes, mm-hmm. go on to the next one. Okay, um, cool. But like a lot of my, a lot of my poems, they, you know, it, it's sort of like a, a discrete point in time, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, if, if you think about sort of the idea as, the, the idea of the universe as a hologram where you have, mm-hmm. 
a single a single point that undergirds the hologram of the universe is encoded with the entirety of the information that makes up the universe. Mm -hmm. In the same way, I would see like a poem, like it, it is a single moment uh, mm -hmm. that contains within it everything, like everything that was before, everything that is mm -hmm. to come. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just like try to get that one condensed point in as like mm -hmm. a single snapshot. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. I have the impression um, when you're writing, do you feel like you're chasing the idea? Um, what do you mean? Where you're, where you're sort of like you have an idea that you've pitched to yourself and you're trying to, to find it or, or what? If you're feeling like um, as you're drafting, you're like, I have to be able to do a medium where I can write fast enough in order to keep up with and catch these ideas. Like, is the feeling like before they slip away or like... Uh, how do you feel when you write? So, yeah, I'm, I don't think I'm I'm concerned about them slipping away, um, because like I, I'll just I'll just sit with them for so long that like I'll I know that I'll remember it. It's more that I want to find um, what the full story is behind it. Um, so you know, for instance, I, I have a poem. Um, called Psalm 51 and I was in uh, I was in Maui I was in, in Lahaina um, and I just had the phrase um, you know if I could shed skins as well as the next I'd be scrubbed pink like a jackdaw and I was just like I don't know what the hell this means mm -hmm. like you know let me help me I, I need to figure this out i need to sit down and sort of like play with it you know, where where does that go in the future mm -hmm. um and so i i sat with the phrase for a few days before sort of like putting everything together and, and coming up with maybe like a greater theme of, of talking about um repentance or fate and putting the rest of the poem together um mm -hmm. but i was never worried about losing like that phrase Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just because it's so concrete in the way that it came in that makes that yeah that. it's it's concrete it's short it's like this is this is just in my head i, mm -hmm. I can't get rid of it hmm. yeah that's really cool it's yeah. like uh it's uh possessed you almost yeah like, yeah wherever yeah. the rest of this idea goes like this short phrase is the uh kernel that will will be the foundation yeah cool. yeah I, I like i like the way that you're putting it where it's like it is it is feeling like possessed by this spirit of of the poem where it's like mm -hmm. this exists apart from myself it is like it's in my head i i guess mm -hmm. like sure it's a thought that i have mm -hmm. but it seems like something separate from me it's in my head and i have to put it together and get it out mm -hmm. is is that a good feeling or, or is it something that's kind of painful uh, or something else yeah it's very exciting Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I do get very excited when I have an idea because it's like if, if I don't think it's cool, mm -hmm. <laughs> then like what's the point? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. like uh, if yeah, if I don't enjoy it, uh, why should anyone else enjoy it? Mm -hmm. um, so it is enjoyable, and then the, all the stress and the concern comes later on when I'm like, oh, 
<laughs> why, why has this gotten rejected five times? <laughs> yeah, geez, yeah, that, that's a good record. Yeah, yeah, it's literally fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, so. no. Okay. Cool. Cool. No. Cool. Um, do you have a? Um, I know you work as a lawyer. You are a busy man. What's your routine to get yourself to like sit down and actually write? How do you create time to create write? Um, yeah, so it it depends on what kind of thing I'm gonna write. So right now I have the the poetry that I've uh, focused on, um, and with that it is um, it it can require just like sitting down and um sort of yeah racking your brains for for what seemed interesting or like trying to put down ideas like maybe you can sort of force it um i feel a lot better when i'm i feel a lot better about like a quote-unquote process when i'm writing something else um so for instance i you know i had a screenplay that i wrote years ago um i'm working on a historical fiction series now um and with something like that i feel like okay like this is this is a complete structure that i that can at least work on even if i'm not putting um or you know working on the story right now okay. it's something i can like sit down and do my research um and with that it, it's I, I tend to think of things as as sort of like a centrally planned economy where it's like mm -hmm. oh i have like a five-year plan or a three-year plan with the idea that at the end of this period, I will have accomplished, you know, this thing. Um, and I can sort of like put it into its pers its temporal perspective. So that way I know like, all right, this is what I have to get done. Uh, like the, the one thing that I do rule my life by is I wanna make sure that I do not look back on like missed opportunities and regret not pursuing something um, and so I'll, I'll just find my schedule where it's like, this has to be done by this point. And if it doesn't like you're, you're fucked. <laughs> yeah. Deadlines oriented. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Yeah. You just, you can set your own deadlines and then you just <laughs> do them. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I guess it's possible. I never would have believed it. Because uh, I know the guy who sets the deadlines, and he is full of shit. So. Full of shit. Mine too. Yeah. The girl who sets my deadlines does nothing. Has no no strategy behind that. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Well, as as per usual here on the Good Writing Podcast, we make our guests do homework. Um, mm -hmm. And David sent us a uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez short, short story. So mm -hmm. a very old man with enormous wings. Um, David, tell us about why you chose this for mm -hmm. the episode. Sure. Um, so I am just, I'm obsessed with magical realism. Um, I blame it on my childhood. Uh, you know, I, I sort of grew up spending a lot of time in the swamps. Um, and I just have like so many of these formative memories from you know, sitting at the campfire and like my dad would recite Edgar Allan Poe um, mm. and sort of like in the distance you have the cattle lowing and sort of like a you know, 
coyote calls or you'll hear the sound of an animal dying and it's just like the like the world itself seems so it seems like such a strange place mm-hmm. um and coming back into sort of like the the real world of the city where where you know your experiences are sort of tempered from the rawness or the grit um that underlie what life was like before industrialization and urbanization um like having that having that experience feels like inserting just this like thin magical veil like sort of ripping the veil between the the here and the after um and and letting in just like a little bit of magic mm-hmm. uh, and so i i've always loved magical realism i've always loved sort of the the idea that there's this supernatural thing and, and but it's it's part of the natural world um and then when i was so when i was trying to figure out what to bring on for the show you know i i thought about a lot of great literature and and sort of put the piece you know i don't know try to try to think about what would be interesting to talk about or what could make me seem smart and at the <laughs> end of it i was just like you know what like i just want to put something that makes me happy i want to put right. something that like mm-hmm. makes me want to write mm-hmm. you know because there's so much great stuff out there but i read it and i'm just like oh that was great now i want to take a nap mm-hmm. um and and this just makes me like i read it and i'm like oh wow i'm a kid again and I'm excited about the idea of writing. I'm excited. I, mm-hmm. I have all of these great uh, hopes and, and mysteries that have been awakened in me. Um, mm. And so that's that's what this story did for me. I can't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So it's yeah. there's a nostalgia element. There's the subject matter is thought provoking, mm. and most importantly, it's energizing. It's the kind mm. of writing on a line level that makes us excited but also not afraid to to do our own work mm-hmm. hell yeah yeah um, <laughs> cool ben anything to add before we have david read the first the opening section uh, no this was a great choice great pick man seconded mm-hmm. oh Thank maybe you. before we read we should do a little summary of mm-hmm. the story overall sure um, so I would just like to say that I already feel like I've gotten an A in podcast. So thank you guys for <laughs> my choice. You feel really good. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, As you should. As yeah. you should. Deserved. Uh, okay, so this story, um, it's a short story by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, translated by Gregory, uh, I, I, I assume, Rabasa. I don't actually know how to pronounce his name. Yeah, Rabasa. Um, where... Uh, it, it picks up in the middle of a massive storm, um, and the the main characters discover that a very old man with enormous wings have, has crashed into their yard. And they're trying to figure out, you know, who he is, and they bring a neighbor over, who announces that you know he's an angel, um, and you guys should kill him. And uh, everyone just just comes and marvels at him, and and. Um, you know the way that the townsfolk and that the priest and and the crowds the tourists come it, it really shows a lot about who we are as a community who we are as individuals um until you know a new tourist act comes to town that uh is cheaper and has someone who can actually speak back and so everyone sort of abandons the angel who 
you know, has brought in enough money for the people who found him that they've sort of built their own, you know, they built a mansion, they're living well, their kids gotten better. And uh, after a very bad winter, when the angel gets sick and almost dies, um, he, his wings start to grow uh, stronger and he sort of awkwardly flies off. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, a, a detour about this plot summary. Um, this is a really good representation of what magical realism is like for any listeners who might not be super familiar with that term. Um, it's Gabriel Garcia Marquez is like the most known magical realist writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something magical or supernatural happens, but then it's responded to within the story in a way as if it's like the most realist thing, normal thing possible. So this is like a perfect example of this. A old man with wings who might be an angel just like crashes in their yard and the next move is they monetize it. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's just, that's just realism, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almighty dollar. Yeah. 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 Praise be. Um, yeah. <laughs> so if anyone hasn't heard that term before, that's what magical realism is. It's like a magical element, but then it's done, executed in a way that's very realist and real world. Um, mm. They monetize the angel, and then his competition is like a circus. Yeah. <laughs> um, fair summary, you guys? Anything to add there before we move on? Fair summary. Sounds good to me. Fair summary. Uh, <laughs> it just made me think of like, something that's interesting here is that the angel is like no one's actually able to communicate with the angel right it's like mm-hmm. this, this this getting to this idea of like it's a supernatural thing that gets viewed in this realistic lens mm-hmm. it's like you have this man with enormous wings no one knows where he came from there's like speculation that he's just norwegian or something that he's a mm-hmm. sailor and it's just that someone says yeah he's an angel and so it's like we yeah. we construct sort of that we construct the reality in our understanding and and the the town is like trying to put this categorization onto the man mm-hmm. and whether he is or not is you know that's never really answered mm-hmm. um but that's not really the point right the mm-hmm. point isn't like you know whereas in fantasy maybe it's like oh look at this cool world building and here's mm-hmm. how everything works what really matters here is like the reality of it where it's like how mm-hmm. do how do the people react to it um you know what does it say about us mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. absolutely okay let's read this opening David, would you do the honors for us? I would love to. A very old man with enormous wings. On the third day of rain, they had killed so many crabs inside the house that Palayo had to cross his drenched courtyard and throw them into the sea because the newborn child had a temperature all night and they thought it was due to the stench. The world had been sad since Tuesday. Sea and sky were a single ash-gray thing and the sands of the beach which on March nights glimmered like powdered light, had become a stew of mud and rotten shellfish. The light was so weak at noon that when Palaya was coming back to the house after throwing away the crabs, it was hard for him to see what it was that was moving and groaning in the rear of the courtyard. He had to go very close to see that it was an old man, a very old man, lying face down in the mud, who, in spite of his tremendous efforts, couldn't get up, impeded by his enormous wings. Frightened by that nightmare, Palayo ran to get Elisenda, his wife, who was putting compresses on the sick child, and he took her to the rear of the courtyard. They both looked at the fallen body with a mute stupor. He was dressed like a rag picker. 
There are only a few faded hairs left on his bald skull and very few teeth in his mouth, and his pitiful condition of a drenched great-grandfather took away any sense of grandeur he might have had. His huge buzzard wings, dirty and half-plucked, were forever entangled in the mud. They looked at him so long and so closely that Pelayo and Elisenda very soon overcame their surprise and in the end found him familiar. Then they dared speak to him, and he answered in an incomprehensible dialect with a strong sailor's voice. That was how they skipped over the inconvenience of the wings, and quite intelligently concluded that he was a lonely castaway from, from, from some foreign ship wrecked by the storm. And yet, they called in a neighbor woman who knew everything about life and death to see him, and all she needed was one look to show them their mistake. He's an angel, she told them. He must have been coming for the child, but the poor fellow is so old that the rain knocked him down. On the following day, everyone knew that a flesh-and-blood angel was held captive in Pelayo's house. Against the judgment of the wise neighbor woman, for whom angels in those times were the fugitive survivors of a celestial conspiracy, they did not have the heart to club him to death. Nice. Mm. Great reading, too. Yeah, that was beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. He is an actor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Then first impressions before yeah. we ask David for, for his thoughts on this section. Um, I mean, it's a great story overall. Uh, but I, I know that we said that we were covering th just this introductory part was mentioned in an email we were sent. But I read the entire thing because I hadn't read this before, and it's kind of impossible to stop reading it once you start. Like it I really feel is. like it just kind of drags you through, and it's in. in Incredibly good, and it's really just the sense of imagery that we get in these first few opening moments. Like the when we come upon the man, and we're immediately transported into that spot with him on the ground, and we're given such a clear vision of him is so potent. Like to know the like what this is bringing the like grandeur of this person, but also the like falling grandeur in this moment because it's just so he's so destroyed. Not only is he like stuck in the mud. But also the ver the important fact that he's supposed to be super old, like he's at the end of his days, at the end of the, the this time in which he has significance. So he's not even if he was at his fullest stature, he he could be at it would not be the fullest stature that he had ever been at in, in his existence. Like we're all, we're shown that, and there's just some really fantastic in, individual moments. Um, like in that first paragraph, I really love the sentence: "The world had been sad since Tuesday." Yes. That's so good. That's so beautiful. Like, j just such a great encapsulation uh, uh, of the the way that your these characters' internal feelings as they care for their sick child just emanates over the entire planet as a result of that, how we become the centers of our own universes. Really, just really great stuff. Big fan. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I particularly love that line, too. The world had been sad since Tuesday. Um, everything I've read by Gabriel Grosser and Marquette is just like, holding the third person but it jumps into subjection like the subjectivity of different interview characters and he'll like jump between different people's heads mm -hmm. like that and mm -hmm. I, I totally agree with your analysis of that line that it's like we're in these parents' heads and it's you know other people love rainy days right the world mm -hmm. other people would not describe the world but like a rainy day as the world had been sad but um that's not where they're at and it's just like mm -hmm. such a beautiful way to balance being in the third person with being like really subjective and point of view character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and again, just like 
huge shout out to Rabasa because mm-hmm. uh, like you know, I, I would love to be able to read this in the original Spanish. I cannot. Um, but Gabriel Garcia Marquez actually said of one of Rabasa's uh, translations mm-hmm. of um, Hundred Years of Solitude, uh, he said, you know, you know, I read this online, so who knows the veracity, that, mm-hmm. uh, this, that, that the English translation he thought was better than what he wrote in the original Spanish. So yeah, it's like, like, I don't know, one of those things that with the translation, it's always a, it's always a mystery of like whose whose words are these. So so mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. both of them is just an incredible job. Yeah, yeah, I, I read that too. That it, I think the quote was something along the lines of like, um, "You've written a better book than I have." Like he thought <laughs> the English. He was just like so complimentary towards Rabassa, mm-hmm, who, who did mm-hmm, his mm-hmm. primary translator. Yeah. Um, mm. I have one first impression that I want to piggyback off then before we. Let you, David, reveal for the class what we're actually talking about today. <laughs> um, I just want to second Ben. Like, this short story has such momentum, um, and I think this was not my first time reading it. Um, but I, I think I realized for the first time reading it this time why I felt like it had such momentum. Like, normally in a short story, your characters, like they're doing something relatively normal and then a stranger comes to town like this is i read this uh back i think in undergrad a professor was talking about the stranger comes to town Mm -hmm. story Mm -hmm. type of story so you're in your homeostasis and then something unusual comes to town and changes your life right um but their unusual homeostasis is already kind of high stakes right Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. these parents it's terrible weather such terrible weather that crabs have gotten inside of their house and their child is like very very sick so sick that their neighbor thinks that this child was going to die Mm -hmm. um so like their their homeostasis is already really stressful before we introduce this huge magical element to it um and i think that's a big part of why like this is so impossible to put down like it just has such momentum even though like it's never it's it's not phrased as like this is a life or death situation for this kid, but like that is in the background. It's it's already high stakes before the magical elf stranger comes to town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I think I think you're spot on. That that's something that I really loved about this is just the 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 momentum in it. That like you said, like you 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 just can't you can't stop halfway through. I felt like. I felt like I was possessed by it. It was interesting, Ben. I think, you know, it was, it's sort of like what you said about, or, you know, when we were talking about describing my writing and it's, it's that same feeling of feeling possessed by this piece of mm-hmm. literature. And I just have to, mm-hmm. like, I have to experience all of it mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. before I can go on with whatever it is that I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. David, what, what's going on here? Why'd you, why'd you choose this? Yeah. Why'd you choose this little moment? <laughs> I, mean, I think, I think, I think you guys are, are spot on. Um, I think, uh, so number one, number one, um, getting to that momentum, something that, that changed with my reading patterns when I was, you know, working, working through Prometheus streaming, um, you know, getting through submissions, uh, it, it fundamentally altered the way that I read where, you know, if I had to read say a hundred poems and 20 25 short stories in a week just like the the sheer volume of ink that i had to get through um mm-hmm. was just very unpleasant mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. and, yeah 
and mm-hmm. so it was very easy for things to um, to blur together or to mm-hmm. just to not stand out in a way that struck me as really as really interesting. Um, and so I I grew to really really look for those things um, like Ben mentioned that like that possess you that mm-hmm. make you say I you know this page or this is this is five pages long this is ten pages long I don't care like I have to finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of those pieces that just from the very beginning, I, I felt like I was reading it and I was like, I have no idea what is going to happen next. Like just just the, the things that are being thrown in, at, at me, um, are, are it's completely subverting my expectations yeah. about mm-hmm. what's going to happen, right? It's on the third day of rain, they had killed so many crabs inside the house. Mm-hmm. Like what the hell is going on here? <laughs> yeah. Because the newborn child had a temperature all night, and they thought it was due to the stench. Like they yeah. dying. Like it's it's just so wild that I'm like, what? Like what happens next? Surely it can't be as weird. And then you have a guy who is impeded by his enormous buzzard wings lying in mud on the ground. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. Like, it indeed got weirder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so just that, that sense of uh, momentum, that sense of possession that I think really makes this a classic work and that like, you know, even if, even if you don't return to it for a while, I think that the story really sticks with you in a way that like you, you remember, that you think of as like, oh yeah, this is a great example. Like th- this just did it well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. This, is, this is like a piece of good writing and it becomes sort of this platonic ideal against which other other pieces are are judged Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so that's that's why i chose that and then of course in the in the rest of um the piece that that you know we didn't read here i love the up the observations that it has on Mm -hmm. on people right Mm -hmm. so even though you have these um strange events you know the, the man who's fallen from the sky that, that people are still the same, right? Yeah, like as as Emily, like you like you mentioned, he basically becomes a circus act, mm-hmm. um, and even then, like the, our our expectations are continuously subverted. Where you know you have cripples who are pulling feathers from the guy's wings and trying to rub them into their lesions, and uh, the miracles that are caused are just mind boggling. It's like they start growing teeth or they have sunflowers spotting mm. out, spotting out of their, spo- out of their wounds. Mm. Um, Can we read that section? I yeah. just really <laughs> that section. Yeah. Let's see. Um, I've got it pulled up if you're not ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, go for it. Okay, I'll take it away. Uh, oh, wait, no, I, I don't have, okay, here, hang on, here, okay. Mm-hmm. The few miracles attributed to the angel showed a certain mental disorder, like the blind man who didn't recover his sight but grew three new teeth, or the paralytic who didn't get to walk but almost won the lottery, and the leper whose sores sprouted sunflowers. Those consolation miracles, which were more mo- more like mocking fun, had already ruined the angel's reputation before the competing circus act came to town. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I- I, I love he almost won the lottery. Yeah, it's what, like, what, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what does that look like? Yeah. <laughs> so unexpected. Every, yeah. like, those are some of my favorite. It was just so unexpected, ironic, um, and rude. <laughs> rude little miracle. Very rude. Very rude angel. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. and I, I think that that really speaks to that idea of subverting expectations. Like that is, that is the root, right? Like it, whether whether you're talking about good comedy or mm-hmm. good drama, it's like you want to have. Like we all go into a piece with an expectation of what this is, you know, what's supposed to happen here. Mm-hmm. And I think you need to have as a as a writer and as a creative, you need to have an understanding of where everyone agrees that, that this pl- that this is going to go. And then how you can subvert that in a way that's actually satisfying, not subverting it just for the sake of subverting mm-hmm. it and being mm-hmm. like, ha I got you. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a way that you're like, oh, yeah, that, that, that was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it, it's not just like random. Like, yeah. These details are unexpected, but they're not completely random. That would be frustrating and dissatisfying and would not get me, for one, to fit, want to finish the story mm-hmm. on my free time. Um, but yeah, we think I open this story thinking that the problem statement is this couple's kid is really, really sick and their house is really dirty, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's uh, that problem is solved due to a different, pro- you know, I, yeah. I think that that's the problem. And then a different problem comes to town, this fall, fallen angel figure. And then the solution to that problem, monetizing it, leads to them getting mm-hmm. this beautiful mansion and their kid learning to walk and playing with the angels sometimes um mm-hmm. yeah and, yeah and i love like even then sort of the subversion of the expectation for me it was like okay like we know what the angel's job is because the old lady told us so the angel's job like the angel's gonna carry away the kid but it's mm-hmm. like it's it, the, no the angel it's like just this this completely separate being mm-hmm. and it's you know it has its own agenda and like the, the agenda of the angel and of the lady they they just clash and so and that creates again the, the subversion of expectation where you have the child like starting to play in the chicken coop where the angel's been cooped up and branded mm-hmm. and, and whatever um and like i just i kept waiting for something bad to happen to the kid mm-hmm. uh, and like the angel just didn't care <laughs> yeah, yeah. Angel, i i think that's such an interesting part of this story is that i i think that like Emily, you and me have sometimes talked about how in in story there needs to be, like, a problem that is solved. And, like, while that technically occurs in this, that's not, like, the arc of the story. It's not a problem heading to... There's a problem that occurs that, like, the kid is sick, but then that's backgrounded and solved, but isn't what the story's about, is not at all what's being told to us. And this story, like, if we're talking about subversion, seems to be really toying with that sort of form of how we expect a story to work because we almost see it end in pretty much the exact same place it began except you know no one's sick anymore it's just the angel is not in the present in the beginning and the angel is gone at the end and it's referred to in that final sentence as no longer an annoyance in her life but an imaginary dot on the horizon of the sea like almost as if it never even was like the story kind of unravels itself at the end into nothingness like it's it's fascinating yeah i'm almost afraid to ask but what was your response what was your response what was your reaction to um it becoming kind of a non-issue at the last minute right this angel's presence me or Dave? Did you yeah, mine or Ben? Yeah, yeah. I want both. I think okay. I can predict what Ben will say. I've read enough weird stories. Yeah, you okay. you know how I feel about it. I was fine <laughs> with it, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Emily, did you think he was going to be fine with it? I did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm totally fine with it because I I love I love that idea of like there, there's something about the archetype of um, the the old woman as like the the font of cultural knowledge 
mm-hmm. right? Who just like un- like like who understands how the universe is ordered. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the idea of that conflicting with again like the agenda of an actual supernatural being who's like mm-hmm. just you know I just get me out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, right. who's getting like mm-hmm. pelted by by rocks even from like the nice people. Um, so I was I was completely fine with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially I... since ever sorry ever since having a kid, I've like anytime I'm watching like a, a movie or a TV show, now I'm like, don't you touch the child? Do not touch <laughs> the child. <laughs> you cannot do this to me. <laughs> this, this is illegal. <laughs> I actually really loved it here as well. Um, normally our trope on this podcast Ben likes the experimental thing and I hate the experimental dissatisfying thing but mm-hmm. I actually really love it here and I think it's in part because he man- like my expectations are managed throughout mm-hmm. um, so for example I have no idea what the angel's attitude is you know mm-hmm. throughout the course of the mm-hmm. story he's kept in a chicken coop which smells really bad and he gets pelted with rocks and then they monetize him mm-hmm and brand him at one point mm-hmm. um and he seems just kind of chill like once they free him from the chicken coop he just kind of wanders around in their house for a while mm-hmm. he just yeah he just becomes an annoyance like where they like yeah. he drags himself into the bedroom and they like drive him out with the broom like, <laughs> like, like a like, cat what yeah. the hell is this creature yeah, <laughs> yeah he's, just, he's just wandering around like he's a total cipher like i i don't mm-hmm. know how to interpret him I don't know what he intends. And I think that, for me, is part of the point of the story. Is like, I don't know if this angel liked or disliked being a circus freak. Um, or if he likes or disliked this family that hosted him and monetized mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know and I expect by the end of the story, I'm not going to be told, should I like or dislike what did this angel intend on this family's life? Like, I am my expectations are managed throughout that I'm not going to know what his intentions mm-hmm. are. Yeah. So it's going to be up to me to decide how to interpret it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think that gets into the idea of you have to be aware of like where, where everyone thinks the story is going because you, you, mm-hmm. you know, you want it to be satisfying where, mm-hmm. you know, you're expecting there to be some sort of explanation or resolution and if you're going to deny it, you better have a damn good reason for like why. Like, or it needs to be it needs to be justified in the lead up mm-hmm. through the text. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, I think an ending like this, where you know one day she's washing the dishes and realize oh he finally flew away, like that would be a really, I would not. I, that could be a dissatisfying ending if leading up to that I'd had, if this had been the kind of story that told me what its meaning was throughout, mm-hmm. but yeah. it's not. Mm-hmm. It's a story that throughout I'm doing the work to interpret. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, think it, I think it gets the idea of, of, you know, what's the purpose of a mystery in a story, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't, mm-hmm. it, it, it's not good just to have a mystery for the sake of having a mystery. Um, mm-hmm. And here, it's like the, the, the mystery itself is irrelevant again because like mm-hmm. what matters so much is like how how we're reacting to it or how the townsfolk are reacting to it mm-hmm. and so it becomes just like a mirror for a, a mirror to see ourselves mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. David, why does this story make you happy yeah. 
I don't know. I'm a really weird guy. <laughs> You're much fancier. Um, yeah. <laughs> good. Good. Um, uh, so, you know, I was I was raised in you know a very religious family. Um, left the church. Had all of these sort of like formative experiences in the swamp, where like, you know, I'm I'm butchering dead or you know I'm, I'm there while people are butchering dead animals and I'm the one like hauling the intestines away to like mm-hmm. dump them out for the buzzards and so I had this mm-hmm. like strange sense of mystery and wonder for um, the unknown while mm-hmm. like acknowledging myself as like you know somewhere on a somewhere on the spectrum between agnostic and atheist but I still mm-hmm. have this like desire to to be in wonder and to mm-hmm. be in awe and when I read Marquez or when I when I read something like this, I feel that sense of wonder where it's like mm-hmm. it is still the real world, um, you know, not getting off into fantasy, which, you know, I, I also love fantasy, mm-hmm. but it's it's it's, it's itching a different, different thing. itch for yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a completely yeah. different thing with this. It's still it's the real world, but it's it's filled with so much more wonder and light and like amazement mm-hmm. um, than I might feel otherwise. I love that. That makes me so happy. Yeah. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> that rocks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, so if we were to turn this into some sort of writing exercise, if there was something that we would take from this, that you would tell writers trying to write, what what do you think that they should take from this story? Well, what should we try to do because of it after we've read this? So I have... I, I was thinking a lot about you know, what kind of exercise should I give? Um, and there were, there were sort of a couple, a couple ways that I wanted to go. Um, I think first off is to, and I'm not like 100% sure how the story made me think about this, but it was to really get into the grit of how something works because I feel like so much of just our like general life today, um, the the grit of reality has been removed from us. Like we sort we live in this bubble of comfort, um, and we're we're removed from how the world actually works. Where it's like we hit a button and then we get whatever it is that we want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say like sit down and just take like a a small simple task and like it's someone who does it and break down like the nitty gritty steps along the way and sort of like the person's journey through that, through, through that. Mm. Um, so that was, that was the, the first place that that went. Mm-hmm. The second one that I uh, just love because I'm a dork. Now, Emily, I know that you play D and D. I'm a right. huge, I'm a huge D and D player, Pathfinder actually. Um, so I love the idea of having like a sort of real world and, and the supernatural stuff. I would say like use this to if you if you have friends who at all are interested are in playing something like that, just sit down and like write a a storyline for them. Write like mm-hmm. a very short campaign. Because what I feel ends up happening with that, I, I like to homebrew all of my campaigns. I sandbox mm-hmm. everything. Nice. Um what happens with that is that you you make a story and like this is what you think is really important in the story but as soon as you 
put all of these other people in and it becomes a sort of like improvised, you know, back and forth. Uh, it really opens up the world to like, and opens up your eyes to like, what, what do other people want? Like, what are other people's ideas? And it, it helps you build dialogue because you're actually like having a conversation with these characters. I think it makes you more flexible. I think it, it helps bring in um, like fresh ideas, fresh plot. Because a lot mm. of times, like you, you have something that you've prepared, and that's that might normally be what your story is, and you're basically giving everyone in the group free reign to come in and and say, well, what if we take off on this tangent? Like, what if we do something completely unexpected? Yeah. Um, mm. So I, I highly recommend that. Mm. I, of course, I think you predicted this, but freaking love that. I love that. Idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's really. Uh, that helps click into place for me. Like, I feel like the characters in the story are really willful, the same mm-hmm. way that characters in a D&D campaign are really willful. For example, mm-hmm. the, the, they hire a priest to come look, check out this angel, mm-hmm. and the priest tries to speak, like, tells him good morning in Latin, and then the angel doesn't understand Latin. The priest is like, this guy's a fake. <laughs> you know? Like, that's... That's so willful. Like mm-hmm. that's totally something that people who I play Dungeons and Dragons with would would do too. You know, they'd come up to whoever and try to talk to it in Arakakra or whatever random D and D language, and then mm-hmm. you know, yeah, they're like, for whatever they're like, reason, yeah, no, no, they don't know Arakakra. We're not doing this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I want to go back to the tavern. I want to talk to Glob the Goblin, who's yeah. clearly the main character here. <laughs> he's coming with us I need you to have him say every third thing too <laughs> I, I, and it's just like it it I mean number one it gives I think it gives me a lot of joy to do it but number two like it does it just it puts so much life into a story when exactly like you said Emily like people are willful people are stupid people are like bigoted they're willful they're like they you know and and I think when when you're writing something out it's it's easy to sort of lose that roughness of people mm-hmm. um and so like getting a really willful character can really uh you know give give a story its direction and a lot of believability uh because like we we recognize no yeah this is how people are yeah. um same thing with like the institutional uh response here i loved like the letter from the vatican which was like mm-hmm. uh yeah does he have a belly button <laughs> like, <this is> what, <laughs> like what the fuck who cares we have an angel yeah. <laughs> um, oh, or even yeah. you know the, the neighbor woman from the beginning in the section that you read out loud on, on, on this episode she comes in with the baggage of your baby's gonna get die right you know yeah. also <laughs> comes in willful and it's like angel done it's here to kill your kid like yeah. yeah yeah you better you better club him to death right now yeah <laughs> or like yeah angels eat mothballs so <laughs> <laughs> he'll love that <laughs> <laughs> he'll love the mothballs <laughs> and he ends up eating it's um, eggplant yeah because egg, like, egg yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he, he's an old man because he's old <laughs> 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 Oh, man. Yeah. I love that exercise. Yeah. Um, and it's something, even if, you know, if you have friends who are willing to collaborate and be improvisers, like, like your Pathfinder friends are, like, super helpful, but also something that you can do on your own if you, like, really approach fresh and, you know, how can you make a priest go against the grain of your story? Like, how mm-hmm. can you 
write willful characters within your story too. Uh, yeah. One weird mm-hmm. thing is important to the Vatican in, in yeah. your, within the world of your story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that gets into the idea of of like trying to identify. You know, you you might have. You, if you're breaking down a scene while you might have like the explicit things that characters want to get either, you know, at the end of the scene or what they want to get from each other. I think you, you also have this, a deeper desire, like a deeper, a deeper object that they want to get or a deeper thing that they're pursuing that is then sort of informing all of their like plot based desires along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like I loved how even here it's sort of referenced that like, the the priest was originally I don't know if he was like a, a carpenter or something before he became a priest like he it's just like he, he so he has this like flashback where he's like uh trying to figure out what to do he like remembers his catechism mm-hmm. um woodcutter woodcutter that's what it mm-hmm. is yeah woodcutter um so yes it's like finding finding what lies underneath the label of someone mm-hmm. um and how that would inform their choices and how they understand what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, this priest is such a good example because my interpretation of him, like it was, this angel doesn't know Latin and also isn't doesn't like perk up at the sight of a priest, and so mm-hmm. he's like, this priest is, you know, very power hungry and insecure mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. people not respecting his priesthood. Maybe in part because he's a former woodcutter, right? Like, he didn't grow up a man of the cloth. He doesn't come from a family of, you know, higher, higher class. Um, yeah, so he, he turns around and gives a lecture standing in front of the angel about people being fakes. <laughs> fakes and fake friends, liars. <laughs> fake news. Yeah. He's not, he's not an angel. Yeah. I told him. <laughs> We all know who I'm talking about. <laughs> Many people are saying it. He's not an angel. <laughs> bad angels, bad angel, loser angel, bad wings, old. <laughs> you know, I like I like my angels with white wings. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> what can I say? You know, they're not sending us their best angels. They're sending us their broken angels. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I have no idea. I have no idea that this was where this was going. No, this rocks. This is, I think this is the first time that we've had Trump impressions on the show, and I just want to say that we made it a long time without doing it. So, we made it a long time. yeah, it, it feels like it was worth it. So, yeah. this is the time. This was the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Mm-hmm. Wait, David. So, question on your first writing exercise about your your idea about um, breaking down a process and uh, talking more about the step by step. Which process in the story do you think is are, are you like using for the model here? Yeah. So here, um, <clears throat> it was it was uh, the the. So it wasn't so much like a mechanical process as it was the ways that the tourists came to try to figure out what he was or to try to mm-hmm. get what they were. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's like, as you're, as you're probing the essence of something or trying to understand what, what something is, they're like starting at the beginning 
where they're you know um they're they're throwing rocks at him to like try to get him to stand up they hit him they poke him with the iron uh to burn him because they think that he's dead um and it's like looking at like what what sort of each here here the mechanical thing is like each supplicant who's coming and trying to get something out of the angel Mm-hmm. And it's it's always this sort of like very direct desire, like they want to achieve something, and they're going to do like what it takes or what they think is going to prompt the angel to give them what they want. So in the same way that I might describe, like I don't know, like butchering an animal, or like this is how I, you know, this is how they they take out the trash. I just like something mechanical of like each step here the steps is just or each step is a different tourist to me mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah i love that i also love um the tourists initially come and they have to call like the army with bayonets to get them to calm down and get out of there and then that's what gives her the idea of like wait let's monetize this and charge <laughs> since yeah you know, it's gonna be this popular um yeah. i i really wonder if I don't know if this idiom is the same in Spanish, but, like, it's like a circus out there, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I really wonder if, like, she was sitting in her house saying, like, there's so many people here to live in. <laughs> it's like a circus out there. And then oh! Like, <laughs> 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 but, yeah, yeah um, I really agree with that. And um, they're, like, yeah. plucking his feathers to rub them on there. Um, arms that don't work, or the I, th- I think yeah, their infirmities and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, love it, love yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. So before we head out, yeah, Emily, I don't want to interrupt. No, yeah, good yeah. Okay. opportunity for yeah. you. You do it. Yeah, just before we head out, um, I was going to say that we usually like to ask about something that has we like to talk about something that has made us happy over the past week or so, or over the past month. Uh, be it a book, movie, uh, flower you saw, uh, a kind word from your child, uh, just something that you would recommend that the audience experience. Uh, David. Yeah. Uh, recommendation of the week. I'm going to say get a group together and play board games because it's mm. awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been so. It's it. We slowed down a lot because uh, we had a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we we got thank yeah. you. We, but we got this game called King's Dilemma. Um, I want to play that so bad. Know it? I, I've it's, heard it's of that. A, yeah, it's very fun. It's mm-hmm. like you can only play it once, um, or it, like each each box that you buy, you can only play it once. It it lasts for like it's supposed to last for like fifteen games, where it's like each time that you play, you're playing a, under a new king, but you're playing as like a noble family, and like each time that you play, it's the the next generation. And so the choices that you make in previous games influence what's going on in the game now. Like, and you're balancing your short-term goals with like the long-term goals of your family, as you're sort of you know ruling this kingdom for for centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we just have so much fun sitting down and you know the, when you play it around, depending on how bloodthirsty you are and whether you're trying to kill the king or not, a round might last you know 20, 30 minutes. It might last an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you can play a few rounds and put it down, and then the next time you guys get together, you can come and like play a few rounds, um, and it it just it's this this continuous joy is, is being able to just like get together and play games. Yeah, 
completely agreed. Ben's yeah. a board game king. Yeah, I'm a board game nerd, so I'm, I'm right there with you, dude. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Emily, do you have anything? Recommendation of the week. Uh, mm-hmm. My friend took me to the ballet yesterday. Ooh. Which I've never been to a ballet before. And my recommendation mm-hmm. of the week is go try, look at some kind of art that you don't normally look at. Because it was cool yeah. as hell. And yeah. Um, yeah, that was really yeah. fun. What'd you see? Uh, Cinderella, which I will say, okay. if you're going to do a ballet specifically, um, would have been hard to do it if I didn't already know the plot. So I do recommend mm. <laughs> that is an art form. <laughs> like, they, they don't do any words. Like, like it's all <laughs> bodily. Yeah. So if you, it would be harder to do a story that is harder to follow. Like, I see, I understand why it is usually pretty easy to follow storylines in ballet because... Um, I still managed to get lost for a very brief moment up in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, but it was it was really fun. My recommendation of the week is try an art form that you don't normally do. Cool. Um, I would recommend. Um, I've been reading the book. Uh, the well, the first thing that I would recommend is getting a job you actually like. For the first time in uh, thirty years, I have a job that I actually like. Um, so I highly recommend that. Um, and as a result of that, I've been reading more because I get books for free and I get books for cheap from the bookstore and um, I've been reading the book The Employees by Olga Ravin. I'm not quite sure how you pronounce her last name. It's R-A-V-N but I believe that's correct. Um, It is a semi-science fiction novel um, that is basically set on this ship that is orbiting around a planet and it is told through a series of vignettes Um, these like one page oftentimes less than one page um, interviews that like an auditing group is doing with the employees on the ship and it's like kind of revealing this that there's this tension between the human employees and what are called the humanoid employees which seem to be like constructed um, cybernetic beings uh, and as they're attempting to kind of like it's really being implied that the the humanoids are trying to unionize, but they, um, <laughs> but but through the own way that they interpret what being a union means, and it's really beautifully written, really really fine prose, really good stuff, and it's like 120 pages long. Great little thing, yeah. Mm. Cute. Yeah. Mm. Um, is the is the villain uh, Bot Sezos or <laughs> <laughs> the, the the villain is the inability to love? Like that's who the villain. It's yeah, like it, it's it's, life, it's very too. tender. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> spicy! Spill <laughs> some tea, Emily. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that sounds really fun. What was the name again, Ben? The employees. It's on New Directions. Yeah, New Directions. Um, David, before we go, please tell everyone about your new book. Yeah. uh, I would be happy to. So my book is Love Letters from an Arsonist. Um, It's a collection of Southern Gothic poetry. Uh, I think it's neat. Um, And it is, I don't know how much time we have, so I'm just just knocking this out. Uh, Do it. Yeah, take your time. No rush. Uh, so yeah, so it's uh, comprised of three epistles. The first uh, focuses on like the Southern Gothic, um, uh, sort of these grotesque characters, uh, sort of a rogues gallery of outsiders inhabiting this decrepit and decaying landscape. Uh, the second is uh, called the second epistle is called Midnight Gospel. Uh, struggles a lot with religion and alienation, searching for an absent God third epistle is called Pinecone Sun. It's uh, autobiographical. 
um, more more personal and confessional. Uh, and all together, love letters from an arsonist. Available uh, April Gloaming website or Barnes and Noble online or maybe a bookstore near you. Who knows? Nice. Maybe. Yeah. And if you want a little sneak peek of what David's poetry is like, I'm going to link to uh, one of David's poems, The Ghost of All Things, um, which was nominated for the 2021 Best of the Net Prize. So that will be in the description of this episode. Perfect. All right. Cool. Thanks, all right. everybody. This was super fun. Thank this you so much great. for coming on yeah, the Yeah, thanks, David. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I, I, you know, listening to the, the other podcast, I felt like I was just like a ghost listening to friends talk. And I was like, <laughs> I get to participate now. <laughs> <laughs> this time is for me. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Fun. Glad you're here, man. This rocks. Yeah. 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 This was great. Thank you for Gabriel Garcia Marquez and really fun yeah. episode. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, guys. All right. Okay. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye.